the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the SEC East betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Ready to keep it rolling, my friend? Yeah, we're going to talk about JT Daniels uh, getting sponsored by Zaxby's and how uh, Vanderbilt might not be the worst team in this division. We'll see. Wow, that would be uh, a shocker. We'll get to (laughs) Vandy. Here, it just means more. At the top, I think most would agree Georgia, this is Georgia's division. You know, last year there was arguments to be made for Georgia or Florida. This year, Georgia's minus 450 to win the division, Florida plus 400. And then you have, you know, Missouri 16 to 1, Kentucky 18 to 1, Tennessee 22 to 1. Maybe you're, you'll make a case for Vanderbilt. Uh, I doubt it. But this looks like <laughs> Georgia's division. A lot of changes with teams in this division, whether it's new coaches, quarterback competition, coordinator changes. We'll get into all of that. We'll also speak with Drew Franklin. Most of you who have listened to our previous podcasts are probably familiar with him uh, from KSR. Love speaking with him. We'll get the lowdown on Kentucky. I guess we'll just start there really quick because we'll talk with Drew later in the show. The Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky's win total over seven, minus 125. They just recently named Will Levis the starting quarterback, which then prompted Joey Gatewood to transfer. Levis, he was actually recruited by Liam Cohen, who Kentucky brought in as their new offensive coordinator. They want a more of a, a downfield attack. You know, this Kentucky, last couple of years, you know them for their defense and, and running the ball. Very conservative. But you should see more play actions, more outside zone runs they bring in Wandell Robinson a Kentucky high school legend from Nebraska a lot of talent to match with Josh Ali so there's some talent on the outside returning backfield you do lose a lot of talent on the offensive line you know do some shuffling up there as well but Levis has the strong arm accuracy somewhat of a question but Cohen actually recruited him when I believe he was at Maine he made a couple calls to Levis so I wasn't surprised that Levis actually won the starting job. Defense lost lost a lot at linebacker, got to replace Davis and Watson, but you expect the defense to be solid here. It's really going to come down to where does Cohen take this offense along with Levis, and can they actually have a more balanced attack to compete in the SEC? What are your thoughts on the Wildcats? Yeah, I'm I'm positive on the Wildcats. So, you know, two years removed from Lynn Bowden Jr., uh, one of the all-time greats quarterback, uh, you know, and he was complimented by a strong offensive line. And I think Stoops is going to try to, you know, provide another strong offensive line. And like, you know, when we started making these notes, I thought it was going to be a quarterback battle between Joey Gatewood and Will Levis. And now Gatewood is already in the transfer portal. Uh, so we'll see what kind of 
you know, depth there is behind him at the quarterback position. But, you know, right tackle Darian Canardi, he anchors a, a line that was top 35 in line yards and havoc allowed. Um, they returned to 61% to the offense, but, uh, you know, they, they, they ran the ball an awful lot. So the offensive line running back means a whole lot. Uh, they had one of the highest marks in the nation, uh, you know, as far as far as efficiency and running the ball. And, you know, the it's really the defense that we need to talk about here. Uh, last year, they finished outside the top 100 in defensive havoc. They finished 96th in defensive success rate. And those two things have got to get back uh, in line. Uh, edge linebacker J.J. Weaver and safety use of Corker. Uh, they're both really, you know, really supported that havoc number. Uh, and they both returned. So they're having numbers should improve under stoops uh you know they have to get into opponents backfield something that they didn't do all last season yep. um you know it, I, I think the three game set against florida lsu and georgia uh, in october that's really rough uh this <laughs> the schedule is cake in september the schedule is pretty easy in november it's that october stretch uh that is going to be really tough for these guys but at least september gives them a chance to figure out what they have and to improve before they get through the the biggest parts of their schedule and the coin flip games that they have against their opponents, they're just not going to be able to handle the Kentucky rush. And when I'm talking about Mississippi state and I'm talking about Missouri specifically, I think Kentucky is going to have a lot of success on offense against them. That makes the difference. I projected at 7.5 wins. So I'm going over seven with these guys. Yeah. We won't get too much into Kentucky because we'll talk a lot about their roster specifically with drew later in the show. And I agree with you. And look, I mentioned this a couple of times in various previews, but, Look at the last game of the year, because I think their win total, I said it right around seven as well. And their last game there, they're at Louisville, right? That There's a, a good chance that they need that game to get the seven or eight wins. So it could just come down to that game instead of tying up your money all season long. And I think that Missouri game is really going to set the tone for where this team goes the rest of the year. If they win that game, now it is at home. Additionally, you said the schedule is easy, but I am just petrified. As someone who's a you know quasi Kentucky fan, my wife went to Kentucky. My whole family. I'm here in Lexington. You know her bars do much better when Kentucky's winning, more so basketball, but football plays a part as well. But we we spoke with Brody about LSU coming to Lexington for the first time since 2007. Well, that happens the week after Florida comes to Lexington, right? So they're going to host Florida and LSU in back to back weeks at home. What I'm worried about is if they start out three and out, or even if they lose to Missouri and they go to South Carolina. Now we'll talk about South Carolina. It was not projected to be any good, but that is knowing Kentucky football. It's just, it's trappy on the surface, but that's a game that I could see Kentucky going out there and laying a complete egg. Uh, But I think that right around seven is probably the right number for Kentucky. We'll talk more about the cats with Drew later on in the show. So let's go back to the top of the division and the heavy favorite, Georgia. The Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia, as I mentioned, is minus 450 to win the SEC East. Win total over 10 and a half, minus 130. True road games, they only have three true road games. Auburn, Vanderbilt, and Tennessee, not bad. They're neutral games against Florida, who we'll get to, and then Clemson to kick off the year. So the schedule is, is pretty manageable. When you look at Georgia coming into the year, I had questions, some questions about cornerback. They, I mean, four of their top cornerbacks in their depth chart, either transfers or went to the NFL. Bringing in Kendrick from Clemson helped solve some of those issues and, and, and concerns that I did have. 
the defense is just going to be loaded as always. The question with Georgia, and it's the opposite of Ole Miss. Ole Miss, we know the offense is going to be great. How much will the defense improve? Well, Georgia now, I think, has a championship-caliber offense. Will it be allowed to become unleashed is the question. JT Daniels is back. Under Kirby Smart, this is a team that just didn't throw for 300 yards. It happened only four times in five years under Smart before JT Daniels took over at quarterback, and he did it twice in four games. And so you did lose Pickens in the preseason, a wide receiver, but there's still a lot of talent and a lot of deep threat talent is a team that wants to push. They want to push the ball down the field. Their offensive coordinator does at least Uh, offensive line, I think should be solid. A lot of talent in the backfield. This is a legit national title contender. If they win that Clemson game, I don't see how they go under 10 and a half. I make their win total actually slightly over 10 and a half. I'm intrigued by Georgia from a futures perspective, which I'll get into in a bit, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on the Bulldogs. Well, it's another season and another August. We're recording a podcast about Georgia where there is national championship expectations. Uh, You know, the offensive line is loaded with NFL prospects. The running backs loaded with NFL prospects. JT Daniels has a ton of weapons to throw to, despite George Pickens being hurt. I think the Peach Bowl really speaks a lot to what JT Daniels, I know we went 4-0, I know he went 10 and 2 TD to turnover, uh, TD to INT ratio when he closed out the season last year. But the Cincinnati game is really kind of foreshadowing what's going to happen this season because he was god awful in the first couple quarters of that game. Three interceptions, got Georgia behind, and then he managed in the fourth quarter to lead three drives that all resulted in points, uh, a touchdown and two field goals. And Georgia ended up winning that game. And Cincinnati is no pushover. Their two corners are going to play at the NFL. I mean, behind LSU, probably the two best corners duo in the nation. So JT Daniels represents what Georgia has been looking for for two years. And that is a quarterback that they can trust to throw in standard downs. Passing downs, obviously, are things like third and 12, second and nine. But throwing on, say, first and 10, or throwing on second and seven, that's just never been a part of Georgia's formula. They've been, you know, run the ball up the gut, run it, run it, run it, and let our defense take care of the rest. And and I think Kirby Smart recognized that this is just not the way to win a national championship. We're not going to be able to hang with Alabama. We're not going to be able to hang with Clemson if we uh, have this kind of offense. So Todd Munkin comes in as offensive coordinator. They start off the season with Tuan Mathis against Arkansas. Didn't do so well. Stetson Bennett saved the day. Uh, Stetson Bennett played for a couple of games. We don't know if JT Daniels was just hurt the entire time or if they were holding him back or what was going on, a funky COVID season for everybody. Uh, but JT Daniels is the quarterback that they have desired. And now you're going to see the full breadth of the Todd Munkin offense, which is great. The defense has, has filled in some key spots from the transfer portal. You mentioned Darian Kendrick coming in to play the secondary. Uh, Tyke Smith from West Virginia. That is a big pickup. Yeah, it has a big pickup. And the 3-4 defense is led by Adam Anderson. He had six and a half sacks last year. So everything for this Georgia team, I mean, their Havoc rating was 41st. I think that's going to go up 26 in defensive finishing drives. That's going to go up. Uh, this is an NFL talented team, and, and they should absolutely win the East. And they should win the SEC. Uh, their numbers right out for the SEC are plus 200 to plus 280. There's a wide variety. If you just shop around, I would say get the best of the number. I definitely love it at uh, plus 250 or better, but I think the stop point for buying them is plus 220, considering what the money line will be against projected Alabama. We don't even know if it'll be Alabama, but if it is, you know, the, plus 220 is going to be a good number. The national championship stuff and the Clemson game, I know that we've cut previous pods and said, 
well, I like Georgia money line in the opener. But if you look at this last week of scrimmages, and that's why we kind of we wanted SEC to be the last conference that we went over because we want to get as much information from practices and scrimmages as we can. And the news isn't really all that great coming out of Georgia. Uh, you know, tight end Eric Gilbert, easily the most prized possession to come out of the transfer portal uh, from LSU. Uh, he's he didn't scrimmage this past weekend. He's got some personal issues, and, and he's currently not with the team. Uh, you know, he wasn't there with them last year, but that's a weapon that JT Daniels doesn't have. And then wide receiver Jermaine Burton and Kiaris Jackson are injured with no timetable to come back. So these targets that JT Daniels is supposed to have that are the explosive ones that he can hit down the field, they're not practicing right now. They're either hurt or they're not with the team. And those pieces are desperately needed against a Clemson team where the only way to attack that defense is the back is the secondary. Secondary is not bad. It's just a Clemson Fields, the best front seven in all of college football. So, listen, I'll take Georgia to win the SEC. Uh, I'm wavering on the Clemson game. I need health out of JT Daniels' targets for me to take the money line against Clemson. Yeah, the defense, especially if one, one of these young corners also steps up, uh, the defense, the front seven is loaded. The Smiths and the Walkers, there's multiple each. I mean, it's just a really good defense. The other thing to keep in mind, Todd Munkin, his first year's coordinator was last year. COVID-shortened yeah. year. Additionally, he was preparing for some of that time with Jamie Newman was going to be the quarterback, remember? Yeah. And then you went to Mathis, and then you went to Stetson. Like it's, and then all this, you didn't get JT Daniels till the very end. Now you have a full offseason to prepare. I do think that some of the news that I agree with you that came out of camp is concerning. My play here with Georgia, I grabbed some eight to one, which I believe is gone everywhere. But I, I still, I played some plus one seventy five, which came across in the Action Network app to make the college ball playoff because they can still, you know, without those weapons, it's going to be tougher to beat Clemson. They can still beat Clemson. And if they do, I mean, they're in prime position to make the college football playoff. And given how big of a favorite they are, they might have Pickens back by the time the SEC championship rolls around. Given how big of a favorite they are to win this division, they're going to have a shot in the SEC championship game. I cannot see anyone else winning this division. So winning the SEC probably get into the college football playoff. So I think that plus 175 number to get to the college football playoff, I think that there's some value there. So that's the way that I would attack it. The team that is the second favorite to win the SEC. The Florida Gators. Florida, about four to one to win the division. Their win total is under nine, minus 125. Crossover games, unfortunately, if you're a Florida fan, Alabama and LSU, you get Bama at home, you go to LSU and LSU somehow beat Florida last year. The yeah, shoe the throw. throw. The shoe throw game. <laughs> After the play, unsportsmanlike conduct. Number 11 of the defense. Throwing the LSU player's shoe 20 yards down the field. Automatic first down. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard an official announce throwing a player's shoe. Not sure if uh, we'll see any shoes thrown this year, but Florida's an interesting case study because they lost so much on offense. You lose Trask, Pitts, just the generational talent, you know, tight end slash receiver, Grimes and Tony, just all of your weapons are gone. Emory Jones now comes in and takes over at quarterback. How much of a drop-off will we see on offense? You should expect a drop-off. Dan Mullen, known as a, you know, quarterback whisperer, can he get this offense rolling right away. Can the defense make any strides for Florida? The defense was very weak last year. I like some of the transfers they brought in on the defensive line. 
But the defense is going to have to step up. The running game, they're going to have to find and, and rely on a running game a little bit more. And how much of a drop-off will we see in the passing attack after they lost all of that talent? Florida obviously also has to play Georgia in Jacksonville on a neutral. Under 9, minus 125. What do you see with the Gators? Yeah, you mentioned the run rate, 44% run rate, one of the lowest in the nation. They were so dependent on the pass with Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask, Kadarius Toney. None of those weapons are there now, and Emory Jones comes in after being patient and, and being behind. And, uh, you know, there's just not a lot of weapons there that he's going to be familiar with. And, I mean, I've seen some people float out that uh, Emory Jones for Heisman is a great value pick, and I'm thinking to myself, you have to make the college football playoff. Uh, unless you're Lamar Jackson, you have to make the college football playoff to have a shot here. You have to be playing for your conference championship to have a shot. Florida doesn't have those advantages this year. Below 50% in TARP on offense. Uh, this is uh, the year of the super senior, and I think Florida's, you know, they're, they're switching in some names on the offensive line. They've got brand new targets. Uh, Emory Jones does not have a lot of familiar faces around here, and as much talent as he's got, this is going to be, I think, tough sledding from him, uh, you know, especially, you know, considering just everything that's new. The defense is where the questions must be answered. And I, I mean, my problem with, with, with Florida is what we call third and Grantham is that uh, they can't get a third down stop for their life. I mean, they, they've ranked one of the worst teams. It's getting degeneratively worse. Like they're spiraling downward every single year and getting third down stops. And that goes back to Todd Grantham. They had some ranks, uh, I believe, 101st in tackling, uh, and 88th in coverage. I mean, these are fundamentals and techniques. And Grantham, who's been with Mullen since Mississippi State, Grantham's been around to coach some really good defenses. And for some reason, things as easy as tackling and coverage and, and, and rushing success rate, like the rushing success rate was 108th last year. And that's just not a fluke because of COVID. They literally cannot defend against teams that run the ball. So, uh, you know, if 4-1 to one to win the division, you'd have to give me more money than that for them to go up against Georgia, a team that can absolutely run the ball. The portal does bring in Daquan Newkirk from Auburn. Antonio Shelton comes in from Penn State. Those are great pickups, but, you know, we got to see him perform. I, they should improve from 108th against the Russian success rate. But, you know, third downs are really just a huge problem for the Gators. Win total projections at 8.5. Uh, the number's at 9. It's a no play for me. I mean, you you mentioned Alabama and LSU. I mean, Georgia doesn't draw that from the West. So there's no division futures here. There's no conference futures. There's no Heisman futures here for me. And I think the win total is a little tad too high, but I'm not rushing to play the under. I, I don't know how they get to 10 wins. I can tell you that. But, you know, on a, on a season where I think it more than likely lands on nine, it's going to be a no play for me. Yeah, I mean, you, you would hope – the hope is on that defense, which is going to have to be better. The offense can't be as good as it was last year, is that, you know, Newkirk and Shelton, along with Carter, they their run defense shores up, and it's going to be an aggressive defense under Grantham. The hope is that the secondary gets better. I was surprised that – I mean, they're probably good friends at Grantham State after what happened last year, but there was some shakeup with the coaches in the defensive backfield. There's some talent there. It's Florida. You, know, you can build around Elam, and can the secondary – just these coaching changes, scheme changes, can, can the secondary cover better, right? And then the run defense, can the run defense with some of these transfers they brought in just get a little more physical and get more of a push and eat up bodies up front because they're going to blitz and they're going to bring a lot of pressure in a lot of different ways. They need to cover on the back end. So the hope is if you're a Florida fan that these, they shake up some of the coaching assistance, the shake up that they had on that Dan Mullen had on the defensive side that you, believe that that translates to better success on the defensive side of the ball. And then you can find a consistent running game and Ray Jones can help in that aspect a little bit. Uh, but I would agree. I think this win total is a bit too high 
I don't really see a path for them winning uh, this division, especially given their schedule. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that Mullen and Grantham are close, and 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 they are. I mean, obviously Mullen brought him with him, and he's held on to him through you know some of these struggles here with the defense. But I I feel like Dan Mullen in WWE terms has turned heel. We are pumping up the crowd like it's a WWE event. We're wearing Darth Vader masks to post game press conferences. We're bitching and moaning about the size of the crowd at Texas A and M, and the fact that you know there was way more than fifty thousand people in the stadium. And him and Grantham got into it, a little sideline, you know, run in between each other uh, during one of the games last year. And so I'm not you know going to sit here and speculate on what the relationship is between Grantham and Mullen, but. There was a side of Mullen I have not seen before last year. So I'll be interested to see if if Florida has any problems on the field, if that translates into more goofiness or whatever's going on with Dan Mullen. Yeah, I mean, there was the brawl, you know, shoe being thrown. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll see if he, he can he can clean it up because, yeah, Mullen uh, definitely ruffled some feathers last year. Yep. Listen, yep. And, and one last thing on Florida. All right, let's move on to Missouri. The Mizzou Tigers. Missouri, a team that Florida will play on the road. Missouri win total over seven minus 115. This is year two of Eli Drinkwitz. They did a pretty good job last year considering, you know, tough circumstances for a first year at any place. Uh, But it was his first year as a head coach after moving on from Appalachian State to Missouri. Connor Bazelik will come back at quarterback for his year two as well. Saw a lot of good things from him. One of the things that I was really looking forward to for Missouri was just a steadier wide receiver group last year. A lot of injuries, COVID, just in and out. They were just, and the offensive line too, but they were just starting a number of different combinations. Never really built much of a rapport between Baselik and his receivers. But now there's even more injuries to the wide receiver group in camp. So we'll see if they could actually stay healthy on the offensive side and how much of a jump Connor Baselik will take. The defensive side, there will be some changes. Steve Wilkes comes in and they lose two good safeties, and they lose Bolton, one of their, their best linebackers to the NFL. Road games at Kentucky, at Boston College, at Vanderbilt, at Georgia, and at Arkansas. Sitting at Win total sitting at seven. How much of a jump do you think Missouri can take in year two of the Drinkwitz-Bazelik combination? I'm not – confident and really that all falls on the defensive side of the ball they get 69 percent. that's below average here in the super senior season uh what they get back on defense according to tarp they were 89th in defensive success rate uh, they were 126th in defensive finishing drives and that is second to last in the nation i believe teams averaged uh 4.9 points every time they crossed the 40 yard line <laughs> that's an amazing stat you cross 40 yard line you're given 4.9 points. I'm not sure if Missouri can just rebound from a number like that. It's they fired half the coaching staff, so there's new faces there. You know, Drinkwitz he indicated in the first scrimmage that he that he just had there was no pressure and too many big plays by the offense, and that was Drinkwitz's words just this past scrimmage here a few days ago. So, past defense is led by safety Martez Manuel and linebacker Devin Nicholson. Uh, they both finished uh, you know top they finished top 50 in opponent passing success rate. Uh, so really, it's on the ground that's the problem. But this, this, I mean, just complete ineptitude when opponents cross the 40-yard line, just allowing anybody to score, that just doesn't fix itself overnight, even though you've replaced half the staff. So Connor Bazelak was, I mean, really impressive. He had 14 big-time throws, just 12 uh, turnover-worthy plays. So he is on the right side of that ratio. Uh, he ranked 21st among FES quarterbacks 
He ranked 21st among FBS quarterbacks and adjusted completion percentage with at least 200 attempts. So for his, you know, first season to come out there and, and sling it around, I mean, he was a top 25 quarterback when it comes to adjusted completion percentage and he had more big time throws and turnover worthy plays. And that is something that you can play on with this Missouri offense. They finished 45th in offensive success rate, 47th in uh, havoc allowed. So those numbers can improve. Um, I projected the number at 6.3. I mean, that's well below the seven. They're going to be short underdogs against Kentucky, Boston College, uh, possibly when they go down to play Arkansas. All those games are going to be on the road. And that's where the problem is with their win total is that these games that are coin flips and they're going to be short dogs are all going to happen on the road. The other games, you know, Vanderbilt, they could beat them. Texas A&M, Georgia's on the schedule. Not, not easy whatsoever. The only three guaranteed wins on this schedule are South Carolina, North Texas, and, and SEMO. So, you know, when you can only get three and your win total's at seven, there's some coin flips and the winnable games are on the road. I'm going to take the under here. Uh, project 6.3, I'm under seven. Yeah, I'm, it's a pass for me. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see what Wilkes does with this defense. You might remember him. He was the Cardinals head coach at one point. He's spent a lot of time in the NFL. They're going to go to like a one-gap, four-man frontal, probably run a lot of base nickel, and you'll see a lot more zone on the back end. And they, have to do, they do have to replace two safeties. You might, have, you might see Sean Robinson, ex-quarterback, I believe transferred from TCU, starting at one of the safety spots this year. You know, they have some talent on the defensive line with Jeff Code, and they bring in Blaze Aldridge from Rice at linebacker. They get a, a, one of their best corners back from injury. So there's some talent to work with on this defense. I want to see what Wilkes can do from a scheme perspective, running a little bit more zone, switching up the coverages. But there's a decent amount of moving pieces. The offensive line is also fairly experienced. I just some of these wide receiver injuries. Again, I was excited about Cooper, the Ohio State transfer. He's now banged up. But you're right. I mean, on on one side of it, there's a lot of their winnable games are on the road. On the on you know the other side of the coin, it's a it's a fairly manageable schedule if everything goes right. You know, outside of at Georgia, what game can they not win? If you want to look at it, glass half empty. You say you know they could lose you know these seven or eight games, but. You know, if the skill position players, and I don't think there's going to be much of a drop-off after losing Roundtree uh, at running back, but if the skill position players can stay healthy and there's, you know, impressive strides on the defensive end due to scheme changes due to Wilkes coming in, this is a team that that could, I think their ceiling is, you know, nine or ten wins if everything goes right. But I think seven is about where it should be. There's going to be a number of games here, as you mentioned, that are coin flips that will get a chance to – to play Missouri either on or against based on how things are going early in the year. So I think you throw Missouri in that wait and see bucket and go from there. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This is a team that can score a lot of points, but I mean, your winnable games, you have to win some of these games on the road and, and, you know, hosting Texas A&M at home, that's, that's going to be a challenge. All right. Now let's move on to the bottom of the SEC. where we have three teams that we didn't get to yet that are all going through head coaching changes. Let's start. Tennessee. The Tennessee Volunteers. Vol Nation, I know, is curious to hear your thoughts here. Are we going to be on or against Tennessee? Under six, minus 120. It's the Josh Heupel air. Begins down there in Knoxville. Take it away on what you see with Tennessee. Yeah, well, Josh Heupel comes in. What that means, Tennessee, is that you are going to be number one in the nation in seconds per play. It's going to be the fastest offense Defense be damned, which is quite interesting for Tennessee. You only returned 55% in the year of the super senior. 
well below what the national average is of about 75%. Defense finished success rate wise opponent success rate was they were 113th 91st in defensive havoc probably a good reason why Jimmy, Jeremy Pruitt is no longer there uh you lost probably your best player in Henry Toto to Alabama Eric Gray was one of the most productive running backs he transferred to Oklahoma quarterback JT Shrout and Jared Garantano they both left Knoxville through the portal if you were to go to the transfer portal page uh and look and see who's been in and out it's like you have to scroll multiple times to unbelievable to, I mean this team is it's hard and so we have to look and see what's there because they, they've lost a lot just from turnover in the roster but the transfer portal's taken a lot now Josh Heifel comes in and he's not the kind of guy that's going to change his offense because of the personnel he has Todd Munkin did that for Georgia. He had to change because he had Dwan Mathis and Stetson Bennett. Josh Heibel doesn't care. He doesn't care if the quarterback can throw. He doesn't care if the wide receiver is going to run. We're going to run this offense. And so, you know, when you look at what the quarterback battle is going on right now, they knocked Brandon Maurer down to the fourth string quarterback, and he set up hitting the portal. So that just happened within the last week. Uh, so the position battle really is between Michigan quarterback transfer Joe Milton Virginia Tech transfer Hendon Hooker and sophomore Harrison Bailey, who uh, stuck around. Uh, Milton took home the biggest numbers from their first scrimmage. I believe he had two touchdowns, didn't get much from the other two guys. So it looks like Milton is the one that could be getting the job. Uh, No matter who gets it, you know, they're going to be running for their lives. This offensive line has not improved whatsoever. And Tennessee finished 111th on offense in sack rate which means they cannot protect the quarterback whatsoever. So whatever Joe Milton had problems had running out of the pocket for Jim Harbaugh and missing targets completely, that might be back in play. So, you know, definitely a negative there in their part. None of these quarterbacks are are ready for Heupel's system, Uh, you know, fastest in seconds per play. Um, You know, I think they're all got to get conditioned to see what what Heupel wants to run. But, you know, if there's any positive news here, um, (laughs) can't get any worse on defense. Uh, the new defensive coordinator, Tim Banks, he wouldn't even commit to a scheme. Uh, I, I mean, I'm trying to find something positive about Tennessee, but uh, Tim Banks was quoted as saying, uh, you know, my formation is going to be around the talent that we have on hand. He doesn't even know what talent he had. He had so many players ship out, lost their best player. Uh, he doesn't know the strengths and the weaknesses of the players that he has that even right now as Tennessee is practicing, they're going to be multiple in formations because – He's not exactly sure what's the best defense. So as where Heupel's not going to bend on the offensive side from what he wants to run, Tim Banks as a defense coordinator is going to bend and run the defense that best suited for the talent that they have. To me, that just screams they're going to have scores get run up all over the place. So while I don't have a future on Tennessee on the win total, the numbers in these games should be sky high. Their first total on the season is 57, I believe. I guess Bowling Green. Listen, I'm no fan of Bowling Green and, and, and you know, McDonald uh, throwing touchdowns there. But, uh, you know, Tennessee's not going to be playing any defense and they're going to try to score as much as possible. So for me, individual game overs, considering how bad their defense is and considering how fast they want to go on offense, I think individual game overs is the way to play. You mentioned Bowling Green. There are a number of free wins on this schedule. Yeah. The win total is six. I mean, they have Bowling Green at home. They have Tennessee Tech at home. You know, they have South Carolina at home, they have South Alabama at home, and then Vanderbilt at home. Five free wins right there, obviously assuming nothing goes wrong, and there's a chance that they could lose one of those games. But that's that's five wins right there. Now, there are some tough games as well. You, you know, at Florida, they're probably not going to win. At Alabama, home against Georgia. But to get to six, you know, can they beat 
either Ole Miss or Pitt at home, sure. So if they do that, then essentially they will get the six wins just with those, you know, essentially by taking care of business at home. Now they're at Kentucky as well. I think the number is about right. The problem for me is this change. And you mentioned it last year, they were slow and now they're going to be super Mm -hmm. fast. And something that a lot of people aren't talking about is, and look, what happened is not all Eiffel's fault. He just came in here. There was violations. They They had their worst record in 97 years, then violations, you know, AD staff overhaul, then mass transfers. You know, you lose a lot on the offensive line, defense, running back. You, you lost, you lose a lot of talent, but now you're going to come in and you're going to have this, you know, simple, it's a quick read passing attack. It's not overly complex, but you just go extremely fast. And there's like three or four power runs that you base everything off of. And then you just fast pass, quick pass, quick pass, go as fast as you possibly can. That's foreign to what Tennessee was last year. So that's a 180. One of the things I'm really worried about also is first of all, if that doesn't work, then in, in, in it's not as efficient as, you know, Hypo hopes it is, then you're just punting it right away and the defense is exhausted. So the defense is just going to be on the field so much more. There's not a lot of depth with everything they lost. Are there injuries? And the defense just deteriorates even more. Yeah, as you mentioned, they're not familiar with what scheme they're going to go to. I'd imagine you probably see a lot of four two five, But this offense could work against the defense with how fast it wants to go. <clears throat> if there are any growing pains, you know, depth and, and fatigue really become a concern for the Tennessee defense. So I was looking to potentially go under on them, but <clears throat> there's just five free wins on this schedule. And, you know, there's some upside if the offense works. There's just a lot of holes on the roster now due to transfers. So I think six is about the right number. And I will have a really good chance to get them the six wins, but, and it might not even be a super successful season. They just have five really easy games on the schedule. Uh, so Tennessee is a pass for me. All right, let's move on to another team with a coaching change, and that's South Carolina. The South Carolina Gamecocks. Win total under four, minus 130. It's Beamer Ball. Shane Beamer takes over. You have a new quarterback, new staff. You're going to be moving to a new defensive scheme, 4-2-5-D. Luke Doty was – he started a couple games. The end of last year, he was supposed to be the starting quarterback, but he was hurt now, and I don't think he's going to be ready for week one. You have a St. Francis of PA transfer who's now quarterback one with, I think, a walk-on transfer. is the second-team quarterback now until Doty is back healthy. The first play of their scrimmage, he fell down, tripped over someone and fumbled, uh, which is not a a great sign if you're a South Carolina fan. But brand new South Carolina, Beamer will try to revamp this program after it really has faltered under Will Muschamp, who's now gone. What are your thoughts on the Cox? Well, I like how we're going South Carolina before Vanderbilt. I actually, if you want to make a sideways, I don't think Vanderbilt finishes in the basement. I think South Carolina does. South Cackalacky. Listen, things are not going well in South Carolina whatsoever. Uh, Muschamp finishes 28 and 30. He, they let him go well, but, you know, there was some 
some people saying it's a COVID season. You got to let them have a free pass, but they let them go with three games left. Mike Bobo comes in and, and he loses the final three, you know, South Carolina, they looked all over for a head coach. They had Hugh freeze. They had Billy Napier on the list, but they just settled on Shane Beamer, you know, not a bad hire. And he brings in some really good assistance with them. So the pedigree is there from a coaching standpoint, but this roster is just an absolute unbelievable dumpster fire. And you mentioned Luke Doty. Uh, Luke Doty got some playing time last year. The numbers were not great. Not good whatsoever. There's a St. Francis transfer, but breaking news an hour before you and I started this podcast, one of their graduate assistants has stopped being is now a quarterback. Yeah. So so, I saw that. I I mean, this is where we're at. He was an ex North Dakota state quarterback, I believe. Right. So calling all people in Columbia, South Carolina, if you have some sort of quarterback experience, Come on down to the trains. Come on down and get yourself some barbecue, and maybe you can play quarterback for uh, for South Carolina. So, you know, I, I think I, I'm really happy with the hire of Pete Limbo. Pete Limbo is a former Ball State head coach, and then he's gone on to be a special teams coordinator. And every stop that Pete Limbo has been at, uh, he has improved the special teams everywhere he has been. He is just a great guy to have around rebuilding programs. So. You know, uh, speaking on, you know, what Beamer has uh, started to build there from a coaching staff perspective, that's good. But this is truly a year zero for Beamer. Uh, The offense returns just 53%, well below the national average of 76%. Kevin Harris was going to return to the backfield after 185 carries. He's hurt. He had 37 missed tackles last year, and he averaged 3.3 yards after contact. Not great, but not, you know, not bad, but he's hurt. Uh, and so, you know, once that happened, I was pretty, pretty dead set on taking the under, even though I projected this at 3.6, um, you know, listen, Luke Doty's not there. Colin Hill, Ryan Aliski's not there. Uh, you know, the, the freshman Luke Doty didn't generate any big time throws. Uh, the St. Francis kid's not going to do it. The, the GA is not going to do it. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. The defense returns 41%. Uh, South Carolina is going to move to a new scheme, four two five. I mean, just everything imaginable possible. The indicators that you don't want to take a team is happening here. New head coach, new schemes. We got a GA becoming the quarterback because Luke Doty uh, is hurt. To me, this is under four all the way. Some fours are disappearing out there. It's down to three and a half. I project 3.6. But now with Harris being hurt and the possibility of a GA playing quarterback, uh, I'm out on this team. I, I complete under here. I, I don't, I'm not sure they can win three games. Yeah, I mean, the offensive line is experienced, but it was terrible last year. I mean, they were their 117th in tackle for loss percentage. They were also 117th in tackle for loss percentage on defense. The D- and the secondary was decimated. But it lost five defensive backs to either the NFL or transfer. It lost a lot of talent in the defensive backfield. There's a lot of winnable, you know, or coin flip games in the schedule, but I agree with you. I mean, the- I think East Carolina can beat them. I think Troy can beat them. I mean, I, I know you were trying to find the four wins here, right? Eastern Illinois, fine. They're going to be like 40-point favorites. I, I, good luck covering that number. East Carolina, Troy, those are two teams to me on the rise, especially with the old James Madison coach at East Carolina and Holt Naylor's there. I mean, it's going to take a Holt Naylor's five turnover performance to get South Carolina that win, but Troy is on the rise and got Clemson at the end. I I don't know. I don't see it. And I I know they host Vanderbilt. We'll get to Vanderbilt in a second, but I I can't find four wins on this schedule. I can barely find three. Yeah, I mean, it's new staff. Now major questions at quarterback. Zeb Nolan, by the way. He he started at Iowa State. Iowa State, and then he was Trey Lance's backup. Uh, But he had a year – he was a grad assistant coach, and then he had a year of eligibility left, and – now he uh, might be starting this year. Is Jason Brown? He he came in from St. Francis of PA as a transfer. 
uh, apparently they're not satisfied there. But the wide receiver room, they, they have no one with more who had more than 11 catches coming back this year. So, I mean, who who is the quarterback even throwing it to? I like the running back room, but the offensive line, there's questions, there's injuries now. The defense has to be completely rebuilt by new defensive coordinator Clayton White. So, I, I like the defensive line, but, I mean, how far can that take you in, in the SEC? So, yeah, I think it's under or or nothing here, and there's uh, a lot of problems. But you hope that with Shane Beamer, you can rebuild this thing over a, a couple of years and, and start yeah. to put some recruiting classes together. It's going to be a long process. South Carolina was in bad shape. They've got to give yep. him time. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's close things out before we get to Drew Franklin to talk some Kentucky. Let's close things out in the SEC East with a, a team, obviously, Colin is itching to talk about in the <laughs> Vanderbilt Commodores, who went winless last year. The Vanderbilt Commodores, anchor down. I know you're a big Clark Lee fan. Yeah. So Vanderbilt under three and a half, minus 125. You have Ken Seals, who comes back at quarterback. He did show some flashes last year. Clark Lee has talked about this being. You know, you want to, we talk about Shane Beamer and, and rebuilds. Clarkley saw this, this being a 10 year plan. Yeah. So it, this is uh, not going to be an easy rebuild at a, at a school where it's not easy to build a competitive football team. They went 0 9 last year. The morale, the morale was just, I don't know, it looks like they quit a bunch. So you would mm. think just with a new coach, the morale and the enthusiasm, the care, that'll improve, you know, until they're. Oh, and seven. If they stand, who knows what happens? But they're gonna, you know, there's just a lot of changes here. There's gonna be a first year defensive coordinator. Going to see more four man fronts on defense. Uh, I won't go. And there's some. Pa- I, I like some of the receivers. So there's some talent on the outside to work with. The D is probably still going to be awful. How much can Clarkley improve that is a major question. It just lacked a lot of speed last year. They were worse in, in FBS and success rate. Obviously, schedule has something to do with that. What are your thoughts on uh, Vanderbilt, who's hoping their new offensive coordinator can also just give them something? This yeah. offensive line is so small, but can this team score? Can morale be better? Can they get to four wins? You, you, you're, you're saying you're a little – it sounds like you're a little more optimistic than many out there on Vandy. Yeah, I'm I'm really optimistic because unlike South Carolina, this is a team that actually returns players. Like they they are at the national average of 72% on offense and 77% on defense. And you say, well, these players were really bad last year. Why would you want a defense that was 126 in defensive success rate? But Stuck mentioned that maybe there was some giving up going on a team that was 0 and 9 with a coach that had been on the hot seat for a while. And I just you know, when you look at this, they do have a quarterback in Ken Seals. He was dropping dimes at the scrimmage the other day. He looked just fine. Uh, they have a backup quarterback behind him is doing great. Um, you know, the con- the Commodores are now being coached by Clark Lee, and I am a big Clark Lee believer. I think he's the reason that Notre Dame made two college football playoffs. So they're going to run the four two five scheme that Lee has ran at Notre Dame that Mike Elko runs um at texas a&m and and from a defensive side of the ball they went and got jesse minter as the defensive coordinator he's worked exclusively with the baltimore ravens secondary and served as the coordinator role at georgia state less than a decade ago so i you know that was another positive hire for me and and middle linebacker anthony orgy uh, returns as a leading tackler for a unit that was 64th in pass breakups i mean i know that's mid-pack but for vanderbilt that's not too bad. So the defense isn't going undergoing like a huge scheme change. 
they're bringing in a guy from, you know, the Baltimore Ravens that knows how to coach a secondary. You need a secondary against the schedule. Uh, and I believe in what Clark Lee does from an organization standpoint, from what I've heard from his time at Notre Dame, this is, it's a, a guy that was ready to be a head coach a long time ago. So I think the defense is going to stabilize and stopping explosive plays because of the coaching that they're going to get in the secondary. And the, the interesting thing is that David, David Ray is the new offensive coordinator. He comes in after never being the wide plays, re- I don't think. No, I don't think he's ever called plays. He was a wide receiver coach for the Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals, I should say. Uh, he had a coaching stint at this Texas Tech quarterback coach. So obviously he's a Cliff Kingsbury guy and, Ken Seals can throw the ball as a quarterback. And if you're going to put him in some sort of Texas Tech, uh, Kingsbury, uh, Arizona Cardinals type offense, then, you know, that might surprise a lot of teams in the SEC. And, you know, he indicated that, um, you know, the starter for quarterback may be delayed until game day, but Seals really look good in the scrimmage. Vanderbilt screen, uh, spring game, uh, you know, I was looking at the play calling for that. It was a balance of rush and pass. Both Ken Seals and Mike Wright were getting the bulk of the duties at quarterback. Mike Wright's going to be able to run the ball more, whereas Ken Seals is going to be able to throw. So we'll see what combination they play through each game. But David David Ray has been very much, uh, you know, given the told everybody the focus of the Vanderbilt offense is going to be on technique and footwork that they already had the skill set in house. It's just that they didn't perform last year because everybody forgot technique and footwork and fundamentals. Uh, and I think just by improving that alone with a coach that's as detail oriented as Clark Lee is going to do great things for this team. Um, there were a lot of explosive pass plays in, in the spring game uh, by Ken Seals. So, I mean, that's definitely something to look forward to. So definitely signs of encouragement here. If they can stop the explosiveness through the air, uh, they rank 34th in opponent expected point, uh, opponent expected points, which means they stopped explosive plays. Uh, I expect that to continue, especially with Clark Lee in. My projected total on them is 3.9. Uh, the market is juiced on the under at three and a half. Uh, I think they're just going to be improved after an 0-9 season. Uh, this is, I mean, I can I can count the wins on here. They're going to beat East Tennessee State. The Stanford game, I think, is the swing game. Uh, as low as I am on Stanford, as low as you are on Stanford, they get that game at home. And considering Stanford's like sandwiching that between Pac-12 games, I don't think they care that much about going. This offense is going to go a little bit faster. Ken Seals can throw the ball. They're going to spread it out. They're going to, and you know, I I like bringing in uh, a defensive coordinator that was just with Baltimore Ravens for so long. So I, I'm high on the coaching staff. I don't think the talent is as bad as the numbers reflect because Derek Mason gave up and it was an 0-9 team. I'm not going to sit here and say Vanderbilt's going to make a bowl, but I'm going to take over three and a half at plus money, and they're going to finish ahead of South Carolina in the SEC standings. Well, basically, you're counting on them. I mean, they also get UConn at home, which will yeah. be a win. So if you're saying, you know, UConn and East Tennessee State games at home, you know, they host Mississippi State, they host Missouri, they host Kentucky. At South Carolina. So, yep, at South Carolina. So, yeah, there's if the coaching staff improves. Now, look, the offensive line, they have 10 offensive linemen now with FBS starting experience. They get some 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 guys who opted out are back this year. Some transfers come in. I like Cam Johnson. I like some of the guys that Seals can throw to. If that offensive line can get better because it was just so small last year, this offense can do some things. I, I'm i curious to see what Lee can do with the defense. That'll keep me off this winter. I mean, the defense was just so bad. How much of it – and they lost their two best defensive linemen, probably arguably their two best players. How much of it was due to, you know, just the quit factor, the COVID year, and – 
how much of it was it due to scheme and personnel? I don't know. I can see your argument that you're making, and then you bring in Lee here. You get some players back. What can that scheme and effort and care do for a little bit of a bump on the defensive side of the ball? If you see some improvement there, the offensive line gets better. Uh, I could see Vanderbilt definitely being more competitive than they were last year. And then there's some winnable games on the schedule. Um, but you, you would agree Carolina. they're you'd agree they're in a better spot than South Carolina, though, right? Yeah, I mean, not. Th- I don't think that they're as talented. But now with the quarterback question, they don't have as much talent. But not with the quarterback questions with South Carolina. You know, obviously that's such an important position. Vanderbilt's in a, in a much better space right now with their quarterback uh, than South Carolina is. So it's South Carolina is definitely still the favorite in that game, and I think they have more talent overall. But the things, the news you're, we're getting about South Carolina right now is not promising. It'll be an interesting team to monitor. We'll see if Vanderbilt can show a lot of improvement under Clark Lee. Maybe Colin will fall in love with uh, Vanderbilt overs. <laughs> I hope not. They, oh, my God. Listen, if they're going to run tempo, if they're going to – listen, the offensive coordinator is coming from Kingsbury, right? He's coming from the Arizona Cardinals. He's coming from Texas Tech. What kind of offense do you think they're going to run? They're going to let Ken yep. Seals just drop dimes all day? I, I, I just think this is a team – we need to keep our eyes on. I can't believe that, like, out of all the screens I have here in the office and my huge setup, I'm going to have to find room for East Tennessee State Vanderbilt because if I start seeing Ken Seals dropping dimes and only letting 15 seconds off the play clock, then, listen, we got something to bet on here with Vanderbilt. So my eyes are wide open with these guys, and I think they're just in a much better spot than South Carolina. Hey, maybe the spe- – and the special teams, which is just an utter disaster. They bring in special teams coordinator from Syracuse, who's very strong. So maybe the special teams – Gets a bump as well. Yeah. All right. Before we get out of here and get to three and out, let's bring in Drew Franklin, a friend of the podcast and friend of Action Network and my occasional drinking partner here in Lexington to talk some Kentucky football. What's going on, Drew? Thanks for joining us. Very excited to be here. It was good to actually catch up with you in person recently, even though uh, you dominated me in beer pong. But I'm excited to get on here and talk a little football with you now as the season gets close. You were a little rusty, so we'll have to get a rematch when you're more in rhythm and flow. But uh, yeah, it was that was it was a good time. And if you're ever here, we'll, we'll let you plug some stuff, including your bar at the end. But let's get right into Kentucky football. The big news over the past two weeks was that Kentucky named a starting quarterback in Will Levis, and then Joey Gatewood transferred. A two-part question: One, were you surprised that? Levis won the job in so early, and two, how do you think he fits with what new offensive coordinator Liam Cohen wants to do here? I won't say I was surprised really whatsoever. At the end of last season, Liam Cohen was hired from the Rams uh, around December, I guess. And then you've got Joey Gatewood coming back, who people were pretty fond of, and a young guy from Lexington and Bo Allen, both capable of holding the job. And then they bring in Will Levis, who Cohen recruited back in the day. I think when Cohen was at Maine. Maine, yeah. So right there, when you're, yeah, when you're bringing in a third option, when you already like what you have, I, I felt that he had the head start. It just seemed like Cohen wanted him from the beginning. Then when he gets here on campus, he was late. He wasn't here for the spring, so we didn't get to see him in any spring ball. Uh, that was still Gatewood and Allen. But he gets on campus and starts – we're just seeing videos of him just slinging it. I mean, he's got one on TikTok where you can literally hear, hear the sound of the ball coming out. And I know that's against no defense and just playing catch. But it really drummed up an interest just in his arm because Kentucky hasn't had that in a long time. And yesterday, the decision was made on Sunday to give it to him a little earlier than some people expected. But then yesterday, they actually had an open practice where the media got to come in. It was our first time seeing them go at all. Everything has been so shut down. And he looked as good as I've seen a quarterback 
at this point in preseason camp in many, many, many years around Lexington. So there, there's a lot of excitement, and there wasn't much surprise that he has the keys to the car. Well, speaking of the keys of the car, this is, you know, I don't think it's as drastic of an offensive scheme change as some people think. I mean, you know, the past regime under Eddie Grant, it was run to set up the run. Now with Cohen, you know, McVay disciple, it's run to set up the pass with a lot more play action, but it's definitely a philosophy and scheme change. Is Stoops just going to hand the keys to the car over and let Cohen do his thing, or is there going to be, you know, some butting of heads of exactly how they want this thing to work? You got any feel there? Uh, well, Stoops has been through a lot of offensive coordinators in his time here. And, you know, I'm not in huddles and know who's calling what, but there has been some belief that Stoops will uh, throw the reins on everyone and just wants to hand the ball off and play defense. I think we'll see a lot of that early on. Uh, part of it, Cohen mentioned, you know, using a lot of two tight ends. And just uh, earlier in the preseason, you lose a tight end for the year, so that kind of throws a wrinkle in that plan. They just moved a receiver over to help out. But at the end of the day, they have Chris Rodriguez in the backfield. And no matter how much the Rams offense Cohen wants to bring, Kentucky's best option is to just hand it off to Rodriguez and let him work. That should have been the plan last year. He split carries with A.J. Rose in front of him, who's doing well in the NFL preseason right now. But Rodriguez was criminally underused last season. And even Cohen said yesterday, I didn't really realize what I had until they got some live action football going. So it will look a little different than what we've seen, especially this is a football team that hasn't passed in years. But I I think the meat and potatoes is still going to be running the ball with Rodriguez, at least when you have him in the backfield. Yeah, you do have some talent on the outside, and you have Rodriguez in the backfield. If Levis works out with his, you know, rocket arm, the question then becomes what does the offensive line look like? You lose two uh, on that big blue wall. You lose two of your best players. You're shifting some guys around. There's still some talent up there. Any thoughts on how the offensive line is going to look? Uh, Darian Kennard came back uh, in a very surprised move. I mean, he might have been a first or second round draft pick last year, and he shocked everyone. He didn't even really think about it. And uh, we all thought he was coming back to learn left tackle. He played right last year. And then out of the blue, they get Darren Rosenthal, LSU's left left tackle in the transfer market. And uh, we learned yesterday they put – Kennard back at right, and then Rosenthal at left, and that's two guys that will hear their name called next May. Inside there, they moved a, a guard over to center because uh, Quentin Wilson, who was projected to take over for Drake Jackson, uh, wasn't, wasn't really working out. So the center position will be new, but they've got a six-year senior there in Luke Portner. Uh, very reliable guy. He can, he can play it all, but it's still a new position to him. And then the guards, there's still a little bit of a battle there. But I, I think it'll be more of, uh, as we call it, the big blue wall around here that's been one of the better offensive lines in the country these last few years. I think it'll be more of the same, especially with the tackles being two NFL guys. Yeah, Kennard coming back and getting Rosenthal just to, to shore up those bookends is absolutely massive. Uh, moving, moving on to the defensive side of the ball, look, Kentucky's been known for having a, a pretty stout defense over the past couple of years, but there's a lot of talent that left, right? I think there was five guys that were drafted, two on the defensive line, two corners, and a linebacker. Throw in a couple, you know, linebacker injuries. There is some talent returning, you know, some transfers, uh, I think, at, at linebacker could help as well. What do you think this defense is going to look like? Do you think it might struggle early with some of the departures, or do you think it'll be just fine? I still think it'll be just fine, even though, like you said, they lost five guys in the NFL. You lost your two starting corners on a secondary that I think was third in interceptions in the SEC, which that's a, that's a big deal for the University of Kentucky. 
uh, linebacker where they lost Jamin Davids uh, as a first rounder. That's probably the bigger hole, but they had Jones from Ole Miss come in. He was Ole Miss's leading tackle. He's a transfer. We play right away. He's hurt right now, so I haven't seen much of him, but you got to think he can really help fill that void. And they have a uh, Trevin Wallace is a, is a true freshman. They uh, thought highly of when they signed him, but he's already going to step in right away and contribute. But that's still middle linebacker. Some some youth on the corners will be two of the bigger issues uh, filling in the spot for those guys that left for the league. But overall, their their defensive back depth all across the secondary is, is pretty dang strong outside of losing, I guess, boss man fat to the Cowboys and Brandon Eccles to the Jets. Yeah, yeah, and safety, a lot of experience uh, in town on the back end, which will help the corners. Last position I want to talk about before we get into some of your predictions. Uh, I don't, really, I don't, I really have to look into this, but you're you're at practice. Any word on what the punting situation looks like with uh, after Max Duffy, uh, an excellent punter left. Uh we brought in another Australian. That seems to be the thing that uh, Kentucky's going to stick with now. I'm a little shocked Duffy didn't end up in the NFL as good as he was, but they just stay away from those Aussie punters. But Kentucky reloaded with another one. He's actually not practicing right now. I don't know what the issue is there. It's a little bit of mysterious. This is new. don't know if it's injury. You know, with COVID going on, guys step away at all times. I have no clue what's happening. But assuming everything's fine there, I don't know if he'll be like Duffy, but they're pretty confident at that position. But Duffy was a – I mean, he won the Ray Guy Award. He's the best that's ever played here. Uh, there were games where just his punting, I think, won the game, which is crazy for a special teamer to say that, but that's how good he was. So it's definitely – he's going to be hard to replace, but they have another guy in line right behind him. Yeah, I was shocked the Broncos cut him uh, this summer. I think he'll find a spot eventually on an NFL roster. Um, I love watching him punt. All right, so we talked through the offense, defense, and special teams. Give me your, just your high-level thoughts on – the floor for this team, as far as wins are concerned, the ceiling, and then ultimately where you predict them to end up, win total sitting right around over seven minus uh, 125-ish. So what do you think the floor is ceiling, and where do you think they ultimately end up is? Yeah, you're catching me at a bad time having just gone to practice because right now, you know, I'm a homer. I don't, I don't hide it. I'm a fan. I, I, I'm convinced Will Levis is going to be the number one overall pick in the Heisman conversation, <laughs> and we're going to Atlanta. But for your audience, I'll try to be a little more realistic. Uh, on that, I guess I've seen seven, seven and a half. I think that's a great number. They're looking at seven, eight wins. But I think eight or nine is more likely than six. I still think this team's a little underappreciated. They didn't get any votes in the top uh, 25 when they return a lot of people outside of those five uh, draft picks we just mentioned. And I think they've replaced those guys well. I think they're going to be really good. The schedule lines up in their favor. You have four crap teams with the three non-conferences, and then uh, I'm adding Louisville to the crap conversation this year. And then some of the the regular teams they play, like a a Tennessee and a South Carolina, you lose those in a lot of years, but I think they're going to be favored in those games. So I've got six six wins I'm already writing down, and then you just got to go out and beat a Missouri or a Mississippi State, one one of those, and you're looking at a push. So as far as the season total goes, I'm really liking the over there. If I had to put a number on it, I, I think eight is the most real, realistic scenario. Yeah, th- when I look at the sky, I think the Missouri game is enormous for the entire season. I set, I think it sets the tone. I mean, it's week two. It'll tell you a lot about where this team is. It'll probably go a long way in determining the win total. But the game that scares me, um, just as a, you know, I'm an adopted Newark, Kentucky fan. With the game that scares me to death is at South Carolina before LSU and Florida at home. 
Like I are they? I hope that they don't go to a, a shitty South Carolina team and lay a complete egg in that game. That that just has trap written all over it to me. It really does. But South Carolina had Kentucky's number for so long. That's still kind of a game they get up for, even though South Carolina isn't going to be very good this year. You're right. You don't want to overlook it, especially being after Florida or before Florida and right after that Missouri game. You mentioned that Missouri game. It's in week two. I honestly think that can decide the season because if you can win that one, beat South Carolina, you're playing, playing Florida at home first week of October, 4-0, and and that is just something that doesn't happen as Kentucky football. So I think week two Missouri really decides the path they take for the, for the rest of the year, as crazy as it sounds for a game that early. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's the key to the season. And it'll also tell you where this offense is, where Levis is early on. It's just an enormous game that, you know, you at least get at home, but it, you could realistically see it going either way. All right, here, I've been doing this with people that are, there are some of our guests. People come to Lexington to see a Kentucky game, whether it's football or basketball. Give them one underrated or, you know, popular place that they have to check out. Or it could be a restaurant. It could be a bar. It could be both. I know probably where you're going to go with this, but uh, I'll leave that <laughs> open to you. Well, I mean, obviously I'm going to promote my own bar, KS Bar and Grill. In all seriousness, if you're there for a game day, it is a great place to start or injure your day, depending when the game is. We run shuttles back and forth. We've been having wrestling in the parking lot after this first game and then autograph signing after that. But, you know, it's not all about us. Uh, There's a lot of great stuff around Lexington. As you know, our our downtown's great. I'll mention a little Stagger Inn, fun place to go visit. And uh, some underrated restaurants. I'm a big fan of Tulip. It's not one a lot of people know about. If you're wanting to have a nice little sit-down meal that's not extremely expensive, Tulip is a great place. And uh, and Carson's, if you're trying to impress someone a little bit without killing the budget. You know, you can go to Jeff Ruby's and and, uh, lose your mortgage. But uh, Tulip and Carson's are two places I always like to send people for dinner. Those are all great recommendations, and I would agree. Check out Cass Bar uh, and check out Drew's stuff. Where can they find everything that you got? KentuckySportsRadio.com, and then we have our KSR radio show every morning all through Kentucky. You can find that one online. And you can find him on Twitter, you know, all Kentucky stuff. I was going to ask about Kentucky basketball, but I know you're a homer. I know that we're winning the national title, so we don't even need to go there. So No, no, hold on. I'm, I'm tempering my expectations on that after last year. I'm still, still a little too soon to get excited about basketball after the egg they laid last year. But, yeah. All right, so that's football school for the time being. You can find all of his football basketball takes at Drew Franklin KSR on Twitter. You can even check him out in the air. You'll see what I'm talking about, flying with uh, the Blue Angels. It's some pretty wild clips. But thanks for joining us, Drew, and uh, hopefully people that are listening will see you at uh, KS Bar in the fall. Yeah, and I hope to see you soon. I'm going to get back to practicing now for our rematch. All right, see you soon, brother, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right, before we get out of here, SEC three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. First down, favorite SEC East win total. For my favorite win total, I don't love any win totals in the SEC East, but the one that I like the most is Florida under nine. I know it's juiced a bit, but I still think the number is too high. You lose all of that offensive talent. Trask, Pitts, Grimes, Tony. I mean, that's going to be hard to replace Emory Jones does have some experience. Mullen is the quarterback whisperer, but I still think this Florida offense takes a major step back. The defense, I know they had some shakeup on the staff. Can you expect the secondary to be a lot better? I like some of the chances they brought on the defensive line, but it's not a defense that's going to take an astronomical step forward. There are some flaws on this team. I don't see them beating Georgia on a neutral field. And then, you know, you have Bama at home, at LSU as your two crossover games. 
And then you have tricky road games at Kentucky and at Missouri. Wouldn't shock me if this team finished seven and five and things don't work out on the offensive side. But essentially, this comes down to a numbers play. I think the number is a bit too high. So I'm going under nine with Florida. Yeah, I like it. There's no, I, I can't see any way that Florida is getting to 10 wins. And I think at worst, you're pushing there. Uh, there's so much to replace. Win total, as I mentioned on this podcast, Kentucky over seven. I mean, that was just, I mean, barely mathematically there. Uh, you know, Missouri under seven mathematically is like 6.3, you know, and I mentioned South Carolina under four. And I feel like I picked on them enough in our segment and, and really three and a halves are what's out there. And that, that number is going to continue to go down to three with the GA taking snaps. So I don't think it's really a best bet for the pod. So let's go Vanderbilt at plus money over three and a half. If you want to take a juice wow. over, th- over three and go over on that, I can accept that too, but it's a win total that I make at 3.9. Uh, this is a team that isn't starting f- from scratch. This isn't really a year zero situation for uh, Clark Lee, much like it is for Shane Beamer over at South Carolina. This is a team that has two quarterbacks that can produce. They, they, you know, maybe going to an offensive scheme that is more like the Texas tech Cliff, Cliff Kings, Kingsbury, Arizona Cardinals uh, wide receiver coach is their new offensive coordinator. And although he's never called a play, that means defenses don't know what he's going to do either. First scrimmage uh, is some pretty good stuff for quarterback Ken Seals. Defensively, I expect them to approve. It's not really a scheme change going from a 4-2-5 with Derek Mason over to Clark Lee. Uh, I expect there to be massive improvement there. The team might have been giving up last season and not really a reflection of the talent that they have in-house the schedule to me is way more manageable than a South Carolina schedule that includes Clemson and a Troy, like teams that are up and coming. Those are tough wins. But when you look at Vanderbilt's schedule, East Tennessee State, that's a win. Stanford, you're getting them to come to you across country. Don't know if that game's going to be at 11 o'clock in the morning in the Jefferson Pilot time spot, but it's good to get them in between a Pac-12 sandwich game. Uh, there's other games on the schedule that are winnable, and they go to South Carolina. A team that they can, Yeah, UConn, and, and they can beat South Carolina on the road. So, I'm going to go three and a half over three and a half with plus money on it. I projected 3.9 in Clark Lee. We have always trusted at Notre Dame. We continue to trust him as he takes the reins over at Vanderbilt. Big balls. That's a very courageous bet backing Vandy after a winless season, but uh, yep. I don't hate it. And the enthusiasm is certainly there. And I know you are a Clark Lee fan, so it's not surprising. All right. For second down favorite SEC East future. Uh, I'm going, I've mentioned this a couple of times here. I'm going Georgia plus 175 to make the college football club. Did play some national title futures, but those numbers are now long gone. I just think there's multiple avenues for this team to get to the college football playoff, starting with a season opening game against Clemson. Win that game, you know, first of all, it's going to say a lot about where they are as a program and offense, but I think that they're going to be in the driver's seat to get to the college football playoff. And I think that they are so head and shoulders above everybody else in their division that they're going to be in the SEC championship game. Win the SEC, you're going to have a really good chance to get to the college football playoff. So give me Georgia plus 175. I think this offense is now a college football playoff championship worthy complement to what's normally and usually a championship worthy defense with JT Daniels now there for a full season. Todd Munkin gets a full off season to prepare, knowing who his quarterback is. So I love the upside of this Georgia team in a division there, clearly the best team. And I think that they find a way to get into the college football playoff. 
Yeah, I'm going to stick with the same team. I'm going to go a different angle. I'm going to go Georgia to win the SEC. There's numbers out there, plus 200, so I'll stick with that. But I have seen it around plus 280, so anywhere in between, I'd make plus 200 my stop rate on the buy. If they face Alabama, they'd be projected around a a three-and-a-half-point underdog, so that makes that plus 200 even more valuable. And then consider what Florida's schedule is. I just don't think there's any competition whatsoever in the East Georgia's going to roll through that and the schedule, get to the SEC championship game. And by then, George Pickens, like Stuck said, could be healthy. And we have an entire receiving core. Right now, I'm a little bit nervous with the injuries they have, with the injuries they have to wide receiver or the fact that tight end Eric Gilbert is dealing with some personal issues and he's not there. Those targets are desperately needed against Clemson in the opener. And we just don't know where that's going to be right now. So I'm going to stick with Georgia to win the SEC the blast buy price on that should be plus 200. That's going to be better than the money line that you would get on them against a potential game against Alabama in the SEC championship game. Love it. All right. Now, before we get out of here, third down, we already did the SEC West betting preview. This is the SEC East betting preview. So let's do a SEC championship game prediction. I will start. I'm going to say Texas A&M beats Alabama at home and they win the SEC West and Georgia clearly comes out of the SEC East. So we see Texas A&M, Georgia. Georgia comes out on top and makes it to the college football playoff. And I win Alabama under 11 and a half. Obviously, all of my predictions will be based around my bets. Uh, so uh, Georgia over Texas A&M. Where are you going? Well, I'm going to go Georgia to win the SEC, of course. It's just the team that who they're going to beat. Now, I did in the SEC West podcast take Ole Miss at 15 to 1. But that was a play on the value of the number that should be nine to one. I really want to join you with the Texas A&M bet. But I think what I'm going to do is leave it open ended. And I'm just going to go with another bet, another deliverable for everybody. And that is I am currently shopping for an Alabama to not make the college football playoff. Uh, There are a few shops out in Vegas and one in Jersey that I know of that offer no odds on the college football playoff. I would love to get plus money on it, but I'm guessing somewhere around minus 110 to not make the college football playoff would be the play. Uh, Something you can easily play out of in the SEC championship game. I do think they take a loss. Ole Miss, Texas A&M, one of them is going to get them. Alabama to not make the college football playoff. Georgia to win the SEC. Obviously, that's either going to be over Alabama, Texas A&M. Pick a team. Pick a team. Pick a team. Pick a team. All right. We're going to go with uh, two of Nick Saban's kids. I'll take Kirby Smart to beat Lane Kiffin in the SEC championship game. Save it'll be a Um, proud dad at home. Love it, love it, love it. All right, that'll wrap up the SEC East. And if you didn't check out the SEC West, make sure you do. Make sure you subscribe to Big Bets on Campus wherever you listen to your podcast. Rate, review. Week zero, we'll be doing uh, some giveaways for some of the awesome reviews that we had. We'll just send out a bunch of stuff. So keep them coming. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Appreciate all of your support. So happy that we can have an exclusive college football-only channel. It's time for us to go now, start working on week zero, week one, finishing up the futures. And if you haven't already, make sure you check out all of our other previews, including the group of five that we've already done. Everything is out there as far as preseason content. We have a ton of written stuff, both Colin and myself, on the Action Network app and actionnetwork.com. Appreciate all of your support. Appreciate you listening. Thanks, as always, to Colin, and thanks to... Drew Franklin for joining us today. It's time for us to get to work. We'll catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out.